Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to All About Reality. Luke Patrick and Matthew Goodwin coming at you on a fine end of July day. We are so close to the season. We've got players out there playing football again. Goody, how are you, sir? Good. In, in a few days, we'll be like high-fiving in person. I, I'm looking forward to seeing you next week in, in D.C. Um, so always good to get another another pod in. Um, things starting to heat up a little bit. I mean, yesterday was just a big sports day in general with like with Major League Baseball's trade deadline, what's going on in training camp and the NFL and the NBA draft. So lots of things going on. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're going to get right after it. We're going to try to rapid fire for you guys today. Some excellent things from around the league. First of all, the one that weighs heavy on my heart. Good for you and many of their stacks in your leagues. A tandem that is excellent um, on the football field. Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams have been reunited. Obviously, rocket ships for both of them in terms of they're probably going to adjust back to where they ought to be in terms of ADP and in terms of how much we have to spend to offer them contracts in RSO. Uh, I want to talk to you about a few of the peripheral guys. Um, I've heard a lot of good analysts talking about how they think that this vaults uh, Aaron Jones back into the first round discussion in seasonal drafts. And that would put him back in like the 25 million per year to 30 million per year category in reality sports online. Um, I tend to agree with that. How comfortable and how long a contract would you be uh, comfortable giving Aaron Jones, given the brevity of running back lives and the uncertainty that still swirls around the franchise. So I, I, you know, me, I would be happy. I usually drop a big two-year contract. I'd be comfortable. I think going up to 30 million for two years, uh, 30 million per year for two years for Aaron Jones. Talk to me about how you look at him now that, uh, now that the Packers seemingly have buried the hatchet for the last dance as, as Rogers was tweeting out. Sure. Um, I, I think, I mean, first off, I, I think just exciting news. I, I mean, more so, I, I know that he's, he's a Packer and you're a Viking fan. I think like just the era where players stay their whole career in, in one city is is just rare. And I, I don't know, I'm kind of a throwback in that sense. I don't, I, I still think Rodgers is plotting his escape probably after next year. There's certainly the year after, but um, with, with that said, I think I, I agree with you on the two years for Aaron Jones. I'm willing to, and the only reason I'm saying two years versus a, a big one-year contract this year is just the depressed cap in reality sports online. I think that with, with that depressed cap, you just kind of want to spread spread out your your assets a little bit there. And I, if, I'm happy to play the franchise tag thing with any productive running back that seems to have some contracts. He has contract certainty in Green Bay, but Roger with with Rogers uncertainty that kind of quells a little bit of Jones's upside, I think from a long-term deal. So certainly not more, certainly not more than two years, 25 to 30 million, I think still speaks. I think that, you know, AJ Dillon will be a part, a part of the equation, but he doesn't have the receiving chops that, that Jamal Williams did. And, and so I think that, that will that will factor in as well. So I, I think that Aaron Jones is still in a, a really good situation, and and I, I expect him to be very very productive this this season for sure. And I, I don't think there's a ton of downside risk to next season if you want to spread that thing over, over two, just to manage manage what you what else the other pieces you're trying to bring in this year. Excellent. And to that end, one of the 
decision points that a lot of people will be making is at the tight end position. It is very common to either pursue one of the three that we perceive to be safe and excellent at the position in Kelsey and Waller and Kittle in some order. And then you have uh, kind of a sub tier of Hawkinson and Pitts and Andrews. And then after that, it seems like people are just throwing stuff against a wall. Tanyan is a, is a good example of one of those guys that came out of nowhere uh, to, for a top five tight end finish last year. This news, obviously good for him. Would you want him over any of the guys that I just mentioned? And if not, where does he start slotting in? Where do you start considering and what do you start considering paying him once like those kind of attractive younger assets are off the board? Yeah, that's a good question because it, it really depends on league settings and how how frenzied this is. I think that there's just a lot of people when we've talked about this this offseason already, there's just a lot of a lot of players who operate kind of in that space who could be from tight end, I would say probably tight end six to tight end 12. Realistically, I think that, you know, you could probably throw Hawkinson and Andrews as, as four or five and, and believe that, that they won't deviate much from those outcomes. So I, I think the question you're just seeing so many guys, including like up through probably like tight end 23, if you're going the Johnny Smith type, the Irv Smith types, the um, Hunter Henrys. So I, I, I mean, even even Jared Cook in in a good Chargers offense. So I, I think I think for me, Tanyan feels like a. a he feels like a four to five million dollar guy on a one on a one year deal. I, I think you know the question is whether he he has touchdown whether his touchdown rate is sticky or not, and probably will regress a little bit. But I mean, you want Rogers Rogers has gone record say that saying that he loves the guy. So I, I think that there is you know a Kittle element to Tanyan that you have some upside baked in there that you may not otherwise. So I, I am comfortably paying four to four to 5 million and, and putting him ahead of the, a, a guy who was high in the past, like Mike Gesicki, I'm putting um, Tanya ahead of Gesicki, I would say. I'm definitely putting Tanya ahead of Evan Ingram. I, I think I've stated my, you know, distrust in, in Ingram before. Um, I had certainly ahead of like Austin Hooper. I put him ahead of Jared Cook. I'm missing some guys. I think Tanya, where I start to wonder who who I'm like, where the argument gets a little more confusing for me is like if I'm looking at Tanya against a guy, a guy that I like, like um, uh, Noah Fant, for instance. Yeah, I think the fan has some has has some upside, but there's I, I just think there's so many tight ends that can play into things. So I mean, you're also seeing news at Kansas City that I guess Kelsey's hurt. So um, I mean, I, I know that Lewis Reddick was tweeting the other day about um, the other tight end there, and that they're going to use more tight end two tight end sets, and, and that may be a creative for Ceh also just for the intermediate option. So yeah, I. I read more into the Kelsey stuff, having a lot of just, he's one of the players I enjoy watching in the league. Um, they, they're talking more about like back and hip tightness. Uh, yeah. Sounds to me like getting old, to be honest. I constantly have back and hip tightness and I'm not performing against the best athletes in the world. Um, 
having said that, I think I think you're right, and I think doing a lot of driving though. Yeah, a lot of driving, but I, I will say this, man. <laughs> I will say this: you do um, your analysis on Tanya, and I suspected it might be so, um, because you rightly kind of attach a lot of credence to Aaron Rodgers as a quarterback. He's earned that respect. And I think it's easier to throw darts at tight ends when we tether them to high performing quarterbacks. We're not giving any brain surgery or, or giving any analysis that doesn't that will shock our listeners at this point. Um, and, and I think more than most Tanyan is, is in a tier by himself with the guys. Like, as you said, he's in a tier with Kasiki, Irv Smith, Higby, Logan Thomas. Yeah, Higby is a guy with some upside. Yeah. And none, but none of those guys have the caliber of quarterback, Cole Komet, and then Johnu Smith, Pat Fryermuth, and Evan Ingram. Like that's that's a pretty clear tier. And that is none of those guys have quarterbacks. Fryermuth that high up, like is this like fancy pros or something? I'm just surprised to hear those some of those names. Yeah, yeah. So this is um this is a, a bit of my own rankings drawing okay. from um and drawing from guys that uh, like dynasty rankings though you're looking yeah. over horizon yeah okay. yeah yeah dynasty rankings yeah. exactly so i'm looking like as to who i might want to extend obviously uh you could get those other guys cheaper you could get the comets and firemouths uh on on longer and cheaper contracts if you chose to use your assets that way which most of us don't we, we've never recommended using your long-term deals on a, on a speculative tight end it doesn't seem to right. be the best use of your startup contracts for sure um having said that one last piece on the packers and then we'll keep going the other fun news and the only other thing that gives me pause on tanya because i i again I, he was one of those guys that really hit for me last year helped me a lot in in across a number of leagues um Randall Cobb coming back at the request of Aaron Rodgers. We had that great anecdote from Matthew Barry when he was on with us about how he was getting behind the scenes info about who, who Rodgers liked and didn't like on his team a decade ago. And that played out in reality when he wouldn't target Jermichael Finley and things like that. So we, we know that <laughs> who Rodgers likes, according to Matthew Barry, and anecdotally proving to be true, it mat- <laughs> matters. He likes Cobb an awful lot. I worry that he's going to occupy some of the same spaces that Tanya did this past year in end because he was so, so productive with, with um, touchdowns that we're going to see the natural regression. So I, I don't have Tanya as high as you do, but uh, that's in part because I think you just, um, you pick up 500 K tight ends when they, when they hit during the year, like, like Logan Thomas or Robert Tanya did last Mm -hmm. year. And so that's where, that's where I'm at. Right. No, and, and I, th- I think that's solid too. I think, I think if you're looking at it though, from the tight end pool of like, okay, you get, you get into an auction and you're, you're looking and there's a lot of availability. Cause like I, Tony kind of came out of nowhere last year, same with Logan Thomas. So these guys are probably available in your auction unless they got tagged based on the, what the price of the, the franchise tag was for tight end. I know I think in the pod league, I spent like 8 million on Logan Thomas just to lock up an asset in a 16 team league that I didn't think I could do otherwise, but um, you know, maybe with a trade trade in mind later on. But I, I think that with tight ends, you're, you're chasing touchdowns typically redraft or dynasty you're chasing touchdowns. And, and the question is, does, how many tight ends can you, you know, outside of the top three tight ends that we mentioned, do you, can you even assert or, or hypothesize that they have double digit touchdown upside in them? And, you know, T- Tanya certainly one of them. I mean, 
heck, Irv Smith could be one of them based on how the Vikings use use tight ends and and Cousins' affinity. I mean, he did, Smith did have two, I think, two touchdowns late in the season against the maybe the Saints, um, in, in a game. So I I think that. You know, there's only a handful of touchdown guys. Even even at this point, Gronk's not like you're not looking at double-digit touchdowns for Gronk, and and you saw like how good Gronk was as a fancy tight end, you know, when he was scoring double-digit touchdowns, and and albeit with more yardage and more volume, but so I I think I think that's what that's what you're chasing, and if you believe that. if you believe that Adam Troutman is the guy who's going to get you those ten tutties then, you know, put your chips in on Adam Troutman. If you believe it's Mike Gesicki, it's Mike Gesicki. If you believe it's Jared Cook, go, Jer- you know, I, th- I think you'll be happy. I think you can walk away from any auction rationalizing that you're happy with the amount you're spent investing in a tight end and what you think they can do. And, or, you know, you can play, you can grab two of these guys and, and see how that plays out too, if you want to occupy the roster spots. So that actually leads you to one of the fun things I wanted to put out there for, for our listeners. It's something I've speculated about out, speculated about quite a bit. I've talked about it. I've started to put it out there on Twitter. As you know, this time of year, I always start to like hanker for a new startup, try yeah. different strategies than I've done. And this year, the interesting thing for me is Kelsey and Waller and Kittle are all guys that I enjoy watching play. They're all like the my guy types in the sense that they're, they all seem fun and they've overcome stuff. And I just, I just enjoy them. And I want them on my teams. I so and they typically uh, in average leagues are all going within the first three rounds. Uh, and so here's what I'm talking to you about. Then you said maybe use a roster spot or two on these guys. My question is, what do you do to your draft room if you want to go? I uh, just want to watch the world burn. If you use, let's say, you use massive two-year contracts on Waller and Kelsey. So you're not setting up your team for long-term failure. You're just like, I believe these guys, two guys over the next two years will perform in a significant way. So, you, and then you use a four-year on Kittle. And now you have that tier of, of tight end all locked up. And here's why I'm going to walk. I, there's just two reasons why I think you should do this. And then you, you can hammer at this for me because I'm speculating. I want to hear what our listeners think about this. But it'd be fun to do, right? You're probably going to be down 80 million in your cap on a year when we only have 180 million uh, in odd to uh, to offer our contracts right away. But if you do something like I'm talking about, like assume worst case scenario, you're down 80 million in your cap. If I told you last year in in kind of typical PPR scoring with only a few tweaks to them, that there were three tight ends that scored around 300 points, um, and there were three RBs. Uh, that scored over at or above 300 points. And there were three wide receivers that scored at or above um, 300 points. And the running backs and the wide receivers are clear first round picks in seasonal leagues. And they are, are obviously going to be costing you capital or, or money at auction, depending on a, a contract league like ours. My question is why can't the tight end monopoly then put you in a position, especially if you have multiple flexes Um if you're, I'm not recommending this for a league that you just have a onesie position. I'm recommending it for leagues like most of our listeners play in where you have some flexes that you can play one or both and optimally both Kelsey Waller and Kittle. I think it makes sense 
that you're playing the, the, those three guys in your starting lineup, um, knowing that you're going to be giving up a little at, at running back or wide receiver later. Um, so that's point one. Talk to me about that. Anything you're, anything that you're reticent about so far, when you're like, what is this guy talking about getting all three of these tight ends? Go for it. My only reticence with that is, is just, I, I think you're playing a higher percentage injury game basically with that just because tight ends are they you know largely going across the middle they have to block more there's there's just more things that could go wrong with that and, and especially as age i mean you've seen gronk's body break down travis kelsey had a pretty significant micro fractured knee surgery i think before he entered the league and he's he's had not, no serious injuries but now he, he's a little bit banged up kittle's already had a, a big injury so i i, I think that you're, run, you're running a risk in that sense if, if you're going with three of them. The, the strategy, though, of like, I mean, you're also depleting what, what's left of the rest of the league to go with speculative stuff. I, I, I could, assuming health, I think that, strat, that strategy could be very viable. And I especially like it if you're confident in your ability to stay in your lane on a quarterback and stay in your lane on wide receivers. The reason why I said all three goody is I heard on a podcast um, recently, I believe it was JJ Zacharyson. Okay. Pointed out that if you're going to be the guy that takes two of the three of them, the person that should be high-fiving you is the one that got the third, right? Because all you've done then is vacuumed up points at a position that now means the two of you have a premium over the rest of the league. The two of you have an advantage over the rest of the league, but you coughed up either a lot of contract offers or, or draft capital to do it. And that person was able to emerge with a top running back or wide receiver in addition to securing the points at the tight end spot. So I said, I, that got me thinking like, you're right. And that's what's unique about a contract league is we can absolutely alter the playing field from what people expect when they walk in, knowing what they know from their, all their other drafts. And it's sometimes something like that has the kind of secondary and tertiary benefit of just throwing values out of whack as people then start to spend up on Hawkinson or spend up on Andrews or spend up on Pitts and start to freak out quite a bit about what's going on and then spend more than the 5 million you just recommended on Tanya. And they're like, Oh, I got to get my guy. I got to get like drop nine or 10 on him. Then as you say, it's easier to stay in your lane when you're looking at quarterbacks like the Kirk cousins of the world that aren't as sexy. And you're like, yes, I'm going to lock in a guy that's been a top 13 quarterback on average for the past seven seasons. And I, right, and, and, by, and by the time you get around to that, if everyone's freaking out over tight ends or, or something else, you're paying Kirk Cousins two and a half million dollars this year. Then. Right, right. You so know. this is my that's my fun. I want to hear if anybody can pull it off, if anybody can do it. Obviously, if I do a startup, I'm going to speculate, see if I can do it. But you, your like injury. It. Your injury point, though, is fun, and it's, but it's something that I think about right now. Obviously, the consensus top two backs are not models of, of playing time in terms of time missed on injury the last couple of years either, right? It's yeah. across leagues. It tends to be uh, Christian McCaffrey and then Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook's been banged up, but he's never played a 16-game season. So you, you run right. that risk, too, with them. 
And right, but it, it's kind of funny the Dalvin Cook thing to me because like Dalvin Dalvin Cook and Chris Carson aren't much different in terms of like how many games the season they play and the injuries they have, but the the perception of the two of that them getting hurt is way different. It's Chris Carson always misses a lot of time. He runs so rugged and hard and and this that and the other, and he you know he's not mentioned in the same breath. So it's that's kind of ironic to me. And I and I think some of that is just because Dalvin Cook, when he does play, is just so so efficient and good, and that Vikings offense is so much different with with him in it. Yeah, um, you're right. I, he he is a little more visceral in watching him. You're like, whoa, that's pretty. And and Carson doesn't get the same love from the pundits and ESPN and things. Yeah, but it, but it, it well, it's just funny. I mean. Cook also cracks me up because he seems like he always, every time he fumbles, all of a sudden he's like limping off the field, like he has an injury when he messes up. <laughs> but and I've had him on my team, you know, on this team since the rookie contract, so it's just kind of fun. It, you know, I, I definitely watch a lot of Dalvin Cook, so but I've liked him. Since he, hey, college graduate Dalvin Cook, actually, I saw yeah. on Twitter today. He he had his cap and gown on from Florida State in his backyard or whatever. Graduated from from fsu so anyway absolutely um, congrats to him and you know to build on that you you've done a nice segue for us you continue to do so so that like as we unintentionally, look at yeah, unintentionally of course for no show sheets in front of you you're being meticulous no like to that end right i i've often i've thought like i i think it is safe to say i am comfortable with the consensus top two this year i think c mcsee and, and dalvin cook rightly deserve those two slots um I've been on record here and everywhere, but uh, but often with you that Jonathan Taylor is my number three, which is significantly above consensus. Um, I think I like how things are shaping up in New Orleans for for Kamara, um, and I think I could see myself vaulting him above Jonathan Taylor if the offseason continues to go the way that it's going. I, I really respect that Saints offensive line and think that they're going to have to run an awfully lot and pass to him an awfully lot to remain. And I think they have a, a smart enough coach to realize that he's their best weapon mm -hmm. period. Now. Um, having said, I, I've named those names. I think the consensus number three at the moment happens to be Derrick Henry. Uh, I've thrown out a few names at you at this point. We talked about Aaron Jones earlier. Um, Zeke certainly de de demands attention and demands time in the conversation. Uh, we haven't even talked about Saquon Barkley. Um, as he comes back from injury, the the good news is these these real weak winner types that can drop you like significant points seem to actually be in relative abundance this year. Um, talk to me about what you think. Do you have a clear number three? Like, is is there someone clear cut in your mind? Like for me, it's JT, or or are you like, no, that's that's a tier. I'm happy with a number of those guys. Um, so go for it. Yeah, I, I think I am happy with a number of those guys. I I think that you know especially if I'm picking late later, I, I kind of want to just see what Marlon Mack, I'm interested in his Achilles recovery for, you know, Cam Akers sake above all else, I think just to see what that looks like. And, and, and I think those, the folks who have Cam Akers, like, you know, I know you do in some positions, like, I, I think it, it's hard to, to really know what to do with that right now, just with the Achilles injury, but it, it's encouraging that, you know, Marlon Mack, who's, you know, had this injury fairly young also, and that, you know, was, was pretty productive back before it. If he can come back and, and be a solid contributor on that team, I think that that boosts um, 
definitely a catalyst for Cam Akers. And I, I think I would have had Cam Akers probably in my, you know, around running back 10, I think, you know, before that, before that injury. So I, I, I'm on this, I, I do like JT a lot. I, you know, there's a little bit, I think Costanza retired. So that, that hurts a little on the line. I mean, now you're, I think I saw news today, Carson Wentz has an injury and, and is going to be out for a while. Um, but I think that offense does run through its running game, and 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 I, I like Taylor up there. I think the addition of Julio Jones makes things a little more interesting for Derrick Henry. And but I mean that guy's just a beast. Uh, I mean I really like Najee Harris. Um, I would probably put I, I probably would put Najee Harris in a tier with with Ceh. Um, I, I like CH a lot this year too. So I, I mean, I just think there's a lot of pass, passing upside there. So um, I mean, you know, the guys that I, I'm not loving so much are guys we talked about last year, like the Josh Jacobs, Miles Sanders of the world. I just think those are potential crowd, crowded situations. And and you know, the the guy. I, I mean, I, I guess we, you know, we're saying some of the obvious, but who are who are your guys that? In that, at the running back position that you think, I mean, obviously, you know, I love Nick Chubb. We don't even need to talk about that. Um, who are the running backs that you think are, are like between, say, running backs 24 and 40 that you think could could pop in as, as a top 15, 18 running back like that has that that have that upside to to really be differentiators, not necessarily for the zero RB crowd, but for the for the ones who are are looking to you know get get some value yeah so i mean the the first one and most notable one i'll point you to the work that i did for the roto underworld i think chase edmonds is a guy that i consistently highlight in that range right you, you can get him quite late um he in kind of worst case scenario last year as as arizona stubbornly force-fed Kenyon drake who i thought was significantly not as good as he could have been like he still managed to finish as the 26th overall in ppr leagues he was the the, the sixth most targeted running back at the time there, there's a, a slew of things and i've got that i think pinned to my to twitter at this point if you want to look at my rationale for that so that's uh he's the most notable one i would say in that range that i find myself uh coming back to but there are others um the ones we've talked about because of not ad infinitum yet, but that we liked in rookie season. I think uh, Trey Sermon is one that is a darling. And I think he's just because he's so late, he's typically around running back 40 and can pop much higher um, along the way. Um, Zach Moss, I think, is going too late um, only because I think the, the unique factors that contributed to him not scoring as much as he may have uh, will be diminished this year as perhaps Josh Allen gets a little older and wiser and takes his uh, foot off the gas near the goal line and stops being the primary rusher near the goal line. I uh, just like add two or three touchdowns. Zach Moss pays off his, his draft position there. And then when we were off air, you alluded, and this is a little bit optimistic. I've always liked Melvin Gordon, the player. I've, I've really always thought highly of him and he's getting reports from Albright on Twitter today that he's clearly the RB one in camp. Um, so at least for the few first, first few weeks of the season, you're going to get um, uh, an RB that can really start off your season hot for you, I think. And so I like those guys. Um, and that's, that's a smattering of younger and older guys that, that I'm targeting. Um, right. And Mel, I way. mean, Melvin Gordon in fantasy pros is listed as a tier five running back 28 in EPR leagues. So yep. I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and as far as deeper, I think, 
the we always see guys emerge. The one I guess that I'm considering this year um, is Salvin Ahmed. Like the uh, you know Miles Gaston is great, and I like him a lot as much as as anybody. But these ambiguous backfields, man, like you you can usually mine value there. And he's uh, Gaskin's not as big as we might think for a primary back. So Ahmed may get more of an opportunity than some are giving him credit for. I don't know that there's the, the, a big enough gap between him to merit Ahmed going uh, the 56th running back overall and Miles Gaskin up at the 22nd. I'm not sure that the, the talent right. gap, considering we, none of us had heard of either of these guys last year. Now we're certain that Miles Gaskin's a much better running back. So... Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, th- I, I mean, I think Gaskin has, has a lot of potential to blow his ADP out, out of the position. Like, but certainly Ahmed is somebody that, you know, I, I know they brought Malcolm Brown in. I don't think Malcolm Brown's game changer. I don't know what, you know, what type of injury or anything else, but you're, you're hearing a lot of news out of Miami, like with all the receivers and some injuries and, and they're trying to establish new identity on offense should be that should be interesting in, in terms of what they're doing I, I mean some running backs that if you're looking like way down the list it's just someone that, like I think people are sleeping a little bit on Daryl Williams in, in Kansas City who is it, like running back 57 um I, I think only purely for trade potential like i.e to the Rams like I think Sony Michelle if he if he if Sony Michelle can get out of New England I think like he stayed with the Rams or maybe the Falcons or something could be an, could be an interesting play but um I don't know that you'll know about I mean hopefully by the time you're drafting and then if you're really looking at some of the chart like if if you're looking to not spend as if you're in a startup and you're looking to not spend as much on, on a running back like like if you're thinking about it in tier four running back 17 on fantasy pros jk dobbins i think that he that you could make a good argument for touchdowns and, and volume there <laughs> over, over time and i know gus edwards is, is in place and lamar runs a lot but I, I think the certainty of outcomes for someone like dobbins in his peer group with Edmonds and hunt and etienne and Mike Davis and stuff is pretty and from clearly from a dynasty perspective, I think that's the name and at least in that fantasy pros tier. Um, then I, I mean the name I'm hearing a bunch in terms of a lot of experts like and I and I think I'm in the same boat. I know it's I know it's New England, it's unpredictable, but year three of Damian Harris that I think is a guy that you can get to be a running back potential anchor and and not like break the bank to do it. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, it strikes me as he's the kind of guy you like. He has a little bit of Chris Carson to him. It seems like he just has shown up and done the right things for an organization that needs that yeah. stability. Um, and, and absolutely, you're right. I think as long as he stays where he's at now in ADP and in terms of the price, right? He certainly, we know in contract leagues, those guys that aren't sexy names tend to get their value depressed even more in, in auction, right? Like they, you, and so I like that. And I think you're right that he value can be mine there. I'm a little bit nervous um, as the, the drum beat gets louder for him. Belichick came out with those favorable comments this week saying that he absolutely could be the running back one for the team. And I do think some smart analysts are already baking that in, right? They're already assuming that he's the running back one. Not a lot of, not a lot of love for the James White and Sony Michelle and Ramondre Stevenson crowd at the moment for sure. So um, 
and even with saying those names out loud, you can see why people have confidence in Damian Harris's ability to win that job. Excellent stuff. Let's move on a little bit. Uh, there's is more injury news. I want to see how. Should I ask you one question quickly? Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Sorry about that. Hit that by accident. If you if you're in a if you're in a rookie draft like, that hasn't happened yet. Who who are you who are you pulling at in, like in terms of running back between Trey Sermon and Michael Carter, and where where do you think those those guys are getting drafted now? I mean, I I pick Carter as late. I think is like the twentieth pick in in writers league. I think and felt like it fell off a cliff after that. But I'm just kind of curious about where based on what we're hearing out of camp, where you think those guys are going, which one you would prefer on a four-year rookie deal? Uh, the four-year is the key for me. I prefer Trey Sermon. I trust the organization an awful lot more. And I trust uh, I trust the talent of coming out of a school like Ohio State an awful lot more. Um, and yeah, I just I believe more in the player and I believe more in the organization that, they're, that he's playing for. Um, Michael Carter is all well and good, but I, I, I feel like we're looking at, I, I am on record, not being a believer in Zach Wilson. Uh, he showed up to camp today, which was great. And I, and I hope I wish the best for the kid. And I, I think it's really brave of him to leave the Disney channel to come and try to like be an NFL quarterback. But uh, nonetheless, um, I do not, I'm not optimistic for, for that kid in that city. And um and as a consequence, I think Carter's touches will suffer. He's a 200-pound satellite back that's getting being vaulted up um, because we had a great running back class last year, and everybody thinks that we're going to have a bunch of good running backs this year, and I don't look at it that way. I think, I think you have Najee, and I think you have Travis Etienne, and those are the two I feel good about. And I like Javante Williams, but I also uh, have some lingering questions about him. So I think I would not be gambling on either any back beyond those guys. Okay. And sorry, I interrupted a thought before that. I just wanted to, to talk about those two. Yeah, no, no, no. There's a few um, other, there's injury news lately that um, I wanted to see if we can give any actionable advice to our listeners on. Um, Curtis Samuel is banged up out of DC um, and that leaves kind of the door open maybe for De'Ami Brown to get on the field more, maybe for uh, Terry McLaurin to become even more expensive. Um, maybe to go buy Curtis Samuel um, and offer him a better contract. Um, where do you sit now? Um, now that like the dust has settled, they were a super sexy, like a uh, hot topic for a lot of the offseason getting um, Fitzpatrick. And I think other analysts tend to be higher than you and I on, on Gibson for sure. Like he's such a, they're, they're projecting a lot. I think um, our very own Bernard Fowler, tweeted out today that there's he's there people are building in an awful lot of projection to the success of um antonio gibson I, I think he might be right on that um but having said that uh are you trying to like buy an injury dip on curtis samuel as people get shy away from him you tend to yeah i think he's usually i we've, we've seen um in the data from kyle i think he's out mostly on about 10 million dollar per year contracts is that a price you're still paying for curtis samuel I'm not paying. I'm not paying for him. I, I, I think he's he's a better NFL player than he is a fantasy player. I, I don't. I, I kind of feel like that's contract no man's land for me, and I I just don't want to be 
be there with that. I think you're seeing news out of camp that uh, Fitzpatrick was adamant about bringing Adam Humphreys in. Adam Humphreys is, you know, <laughs> seeing a lot of targets early on in camp. I think that I think that Fitzpatrick is best when he's spreading the ball around a little bit. And so I, I think that, you know, you have the down the field element with McLaurin, you have the middle of the field stuff with, with Thomas. I think Gibson has his role. Samuel will have some of his, and then the, the McKissick, you have to solve for McKissick, you have to solve for Diami Brown, you have to solve for Humphreys. It's it's going to be kind of confusing. So I, I think that that's all to say that if, I, if I'm if i trying to build in upside on that, on that Washington football team offense, I think you're doing it buying the quarterback and and, and maybe Logan Thomas if the price is right and, and and leave it leaving some of the other parts you know for others to guess on very good one more uh i've got two more one and then we'll end on like the the most interesting one we uh, Cortland sutton has emerged uh had a really has had a really interesting trajectory right he was a darling of the fantasy community before his rookie draft uh has some pretty wonderful measurables and looks like the kind of wide receiver that we want out there playing and just clashing out there and winning the ball had a lot of initial was like yeah, really going up and, and suffered a significant injury. And now in camp, he's he's still braced up. Uh, this is, I think, suffering by comparison with some videos of some other guys I want to talk to you about. Um, but he's braced up. He has a wide receiver you and I both like an awful lot. And I think Judy's the one on the team. I know that that's always a debate between who's one, Sutton or Judy. I think it's going to be Judy. I think he runs away with it this year. So we're looking at a really good wide receiver too, potentially on a team that likely is going to be starting Teddy Bridgewater. That's where also where I'm on record saying, I think Teddy's going to win the job over lock. Um, so what do you think uh, is Sutton? Are you out on him as well? Given, you know, his contract price uh, and obviously uh, different context and everything. I just mean on what other people are offering him. Are you, are you below market? Are you are you not in on Cortland Sutton? I mean, I do have him on one of my teams, and I he seems like just kind of a hold for me. I the hard part is like the the salary for him. He you know can be. I think there's a wide range of what people are probably paying him across RSO leagues. So I I think rookie contract you're probably still optimistic that 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 hits value. Anything. Anything in the 12 million or above range, I'm guessing you're you're feeling like you're probably a little behind a little behind on that. So I, I think that you'd like to see him be a little less tentative with the with this injury. Um, but I, I I honestly haven't seen a, a ton of like I, I don't watch a ton of Broncos games. I haven't seen much of anything with Sutton to give me either hope or pause other than reading the comments right now. So I I, I I pretty much if you have him, I think you're holding him, and if it, unless you're you're getting swept up with it with an offer you like, and and then the question is what the quarterback play looks like. I, I mean, I think you, I I don't think Denver's gonna mess around if if either of these guys can't really produce this season. I think they're gonna have a new quarterback in play next season, and and either someone in free agency or the draft that people can be excited about. You know, I think you're right there. He's one of the guys that I noted for our listeners. I, I wrote a note to myself. Corton Sutton is the exact kind of player that I think in this year with a depressed cap, if he's one of the ones coming up at auction, 
he's one of the ones I would consider a long three or four year deal on precisely for the factors that you're talking about. He might not reward you this year, but suddenly you have a really good player um, potentially attached to an ascending quarterback next year. I think the buzz will be around Denver will be stronger next year than it is this year. Right. Once. And so that's where I'm at um, on that. The biggest names then. And a year removed from an ACL injury too. Like that's typically when play. Yeah. Yeah, speaking of ACLs and uh, two big names uh, we've talked about a lot on the program, guys that I think all of us want to hear and see more on the field in the fantasy community. And in reality, um, we'll start with the Browns. Odell Beckham, by contrast, is running around. We're seeing videos and good reports of him, like unbraced and and kind of uh, on track to perform this year. A lot of optimism with a, a really remarkable defense that they've assembled there um, in offense that run through the running game but we we've never really gotten to see um the the star cross lovers baker and, and odell beckham together functioning at a high level um you in the past have been out on him on what other people are willing to pay for him i, I usually am much higher on odell than you um is he a guy that you recommend to our listeners to go make some offers on now or do you think he's his name is still bigger than his production I think if you're making offers to somebody else who already has him, then I'm probably out on those at price, basically. Um, it, I mean, if, if he's available in a startup right now, I think this is the lowest you'll ever, <laughs> the lowest you'll see, um, at least right now. So I, I, I think, you know, it, it all, it all depends on price. I, I think that there are some factors that could, result in him having a like in redraft i think he's he's a pretty solid play because his price is low there's just no there's no implications to not taking him i feel like a guy with upside i, I think that it's the offense is still going to run through chubb chubb and hunt and tight end is a big part of that but i think that you know if the hard part right now is here's what here's what I think. I think that at at, the, at this point, Odell Beckham Jr. is a fancier, fancier, like more more physically developed receiver than Deshaun Jackson. Like the Browns need Odell Beckham to basically be a healthy Deshaun Jackson. And I'm not I'm not sure whether or not he can play within those confines and so from a fantasy perspective I you know I, I don't know that he has a ton more upside than the the best years we've seen of Deshaun Jackson uh yes that he's he, the good news is he's no longer expensive but and right so it's it's the exact question if you are the kind of owner that can deal with Deshaun Jackson and could deal with Deshaun Jackson when he was uh, doing well um I think that's a fair upside play and um, it does it in, in leagues like ours, where you have to manage your weekly lineup, that can be awfully heartbreaking for, for a manager that doesn't know when to insert. And so, right. So right. Like it, the hard part with that is like, if you're going into an auction this year and you saw like, like if they came, if they came up at some, at similar price, like just like take it, like the name Odell Beckham came up and the name like Mike Williams came up. 
you know, everyone like based on the name, like brand name, everybody like, oh, well, I'll spend so much more on Odell Beckham than Mike Williams. But in reality, I guess, like if, if that decision was pushed to you, like, would you go that route? You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good question. I would go Odell though. I, I like yeah. Odell. Um, I, have, I have an interesting one for you. I mean, as we sit at the end of July, would you prefer Mike Thomas? with knowing what we know now about his injury or would you prefer Odell for the season? For the, for the season, uh, Odell Beckham for the season. I, I mean, no, no point, especially with the depressed, depressed cap space to be like openly grabbing guys who are injured. Yeah. The, the difficulty is he tends to be valued in a tier with people that um, some of whom we I like a lot more and then others I like, so, for example, he's right around in ADP. You can he's right around the Juju Smith-Schusters of the world, Jalen Waddle. Um, he being Michael Thomas. You're talking about Odell Beckham. Yeah, Odell Beckham and Tyler Boyd. So right. I I think that's tougher because I much prefer Juju at this point. And um, yeah, like so we'll see. Uh, I like where you I like where you left me though. I would recommend. I'm still on team. I think this might be the year you get an outlier season from him and then go sell him as best you can and and offer yeah. him. So I, I, I have a lot of confidence in the Browns this year. I still am a believer in Baker Mayfield. And, and I don't think that we've seen, he had some, people forget that what we were um, excited about with Baker Mayfield were, were really kind of unfathomably high completion percentage rates when he was coming out of college. And he was hitting all these metrics that like predict NFL success. And so I think, uh, a lot of people were quick to write off Baker Mayfield in the fantasy community. And yeah, he might not never give us the upside that we know is baked into Konami code quarterbacks, but that doesn't diminish the upside of the receivers around him. In fact, it magnifies their potential if he starts hitting on. Yeah. And, and like a cheap, a cheap buy in that potential is, is Donovan Peoples Jones. Yeah. Um, I practically, practically free. Like if, if you're, I mean, I'm looking, I guess just seeing news, Denzel Mims is down to wide, like practicing with the third team in the depth chart, which speaks, speaks to how good Elijah Moore is, I think among other things. But like, if you're looking at the guy like people's Jones versus Mims, like, I think that, you know, Mims was probably a second round pick in rookie drafts last year. And people's Jones was probably a guy that you were, you know, like as a as a upside guy that you're plucking at the end of the auction for like you know on a debt like a developmental contract so that could pay that could pay off but I, I I do think that like Odell Beckham like from an NFL perspective is gonna be really interesting this year and I, I do I really believe that that Browns offense has a ton of upside and the defense has to work out, you know, they're, they're bringing in like seven to 10 new starters. So that's going to be interesting how they combine that. But like, I'm really excited as a fan to see how that team does. You were one of the first ones to sound the alarm, like, Hey, this injury looks worse than kind of a straightforward ACL tear. And then that was confirmed later when we start to hear that he had to delay the injury as the swelling went down or probably delay the repair of the injury as the swelling went down. I mean, I love the kid. I love watching him play. I am pulling as hard for him as I have for every player, any player, just because I loved what Adrian Peterson did when he came back from his knee injury and was still exceptional. Um, 
I think that's within the range of outcomes of an, an athlete that like Saquon Barkley that we just see so rarely. I'm not optimistic about this season. So I, I still think that this season we might not see the kind of immediate turnaround that we saw from Adrian. Um, and because of that, I just want to walk you through right now that the top players being selected, like the number one player in dynasty running back football is still Christian McCaffrey. Saquon still tends to be number two. Um, and then my guy, Jordan Taylor, pardon me, Jonathan Taylor. I don't know who Jordan is, but he's not invited to my dynasty party. Uh, Jonathan Taylor uh, tends to be in the top three. I, I would absolutely select Jonathan Taylor over those other two guys at this point. I, I don't even think it's particularly close. Jonathan Taylor's 22 years old. He's got two years uh, less wear and tear and no significant injuries in the recent history. Um, Saquon Barkley is one of our $30 million men though. And in part, that's what we wanted to talk about today. The guys that were willing to pay $30 million on whatever length of contract when we're at a startup auction. Um, are you still comfortable extending to a 24-year-old Saquon Barkley at a startup the $30 million over four years? So $30 million per year over four years. Is that an investment you're willing to make? Because somebody will be, as you and I and all of our listeners walk into the room, somebody there is going to pay Saquon that. Are you going to be that guy? I am not. Okay. Okay. And is it because, so let me tell you the, the other ones that I want to throw in, because we've covered a lot of these names, you guys, I hope this has been actionable today. We're in the first round ish area in a typical redraft. As you think about it, you're going to be thinking about players that we've talked about, like, like the Kelsey's of the world. We've mentioned a lot of the running backs. These are $30 million men. You're going to have to pay them in order to get them on your team. Um, the wide receivers that are shaping into that consensus now are the top tier of Devontae Adams, Stefan Diggs, and Tyreek Hill. Are any of them $30 million men, any of those wide receivers over four years for you um, at this point in their respective careers? Um, and I'll give you a heads up for everybody listening to give you some sense of that. Tyreek Hill is 27 years old. Uh, so older than, than I think of him in my head, just because he's a diminutive guy. And then um, Stefan Diggs is 27 years old as well. And Devontae Adams um, is 28 years old. So are any of them, I mean, you're going to have to pay them because somebody will, like I said, it's. So. Right. But at the same time, like, I think I'm comfortable letting someone else do the paying. I, I think that with, with those guys this year, like for, you know, on a long-term deal, first off, Devontae Adams, you don't know how long the marriage with Rogers is, is lasting, like whether he would be, like whether it's still in Green Bay, whether it's somewhere else. I, I, I mean, the, the one thing I'll say about if you are paying for them, like if you're paying for them with the thought like, hey, I'm not going to keep these guys for that time and I'll, I'll, ha I'll take the best year of them and then try to sell and, and hope that other people aren't as um, forward looking as maybe the two of us are, then yes, like to, to, to buy and then trade for sure that that's a that's an option but like if you if you're talking big contracts now you want you you want these guys young you, you want these players younger and and some of the some of the elite guys in, in the receiver community like Tyree Kill, Devontae Adams, Stephon Diggs or are, are upwards of that whereas they you know 
the the Jamar Chases, the CD Lambs of the world, the Justin Jeffersons and DK Metcalfs are five years younger. So albeit not as proven, but I think that, you know, that's the same path you probably want to go down. And running back is a little different because a lot of the elite running backs aren't aren't but a year older than Saquon Barkley. Like, so Kamara's 26, Derrick Henry's only 27, even though he seems like he's older just because he just takes punishment. <laughs> but and Aaron Jones, 26, Eckler's 26, a guy like Dobbins is... 22 you know so like I, I think you always kind of want to skew on the on the age and productivity continuum I, I think in a way that best maximizes your where your marginal cost equals your marginal revenue the 30 million dollar men let's put it out there we are impatient people that want to win leagues and the top round in a regular league, you can typically assign a 25 to $30 million contract in your mind, whether it's one, two, three, or four years. The first round of underdog ADP sees a range of guys from first overall, like C McSee, all the way down to Austin Eckler at 12th. There's other guys that may creep in. We've mentioned all of them on this podcast, but other guys like Nick Chubb and Aaron Jones might creep back in over Austin Eckler as the, as the season goes along. And then you get other fringe guys like Hopkins and Ridley that might jump up into the first round as well. $30 million. My recommendation has long been that you should spend three of those contracts. Not everybody builds their roster the same way in a startup. Jonathan Taylor is one of my guys. Uh, he's at number nine overall in under ADP. Stefan Diggs would be another guy that I would put out there as probably the receiver I'd be willing to spend on over a long period of time. Um, Though I actually like some of the later and younger wide receivers at this point, like Justin Jefferson, I would spend on over digs at this point. Um, so I was just wondering is it, of those names, I would say that I would spend on Jonathan Taylor and Kelsey and knowing me probably go Homer and go Dalvin cook or something ridiculous for my third 30, $30 million one. Talk to me, Goody. Do any of those names stand out to you that like, look, I feel confident recommending to you, the listener, that this is the guy that's not going to be a waste of your $30 million contract. Yeah. Um, of those, of those three. No, no. Any of, of the whole, the whole caboodle I gave you. Like of, so the, of who you name, I, I mean, uh, the first round. Yeah. Yeah. The whole first yeah, round. I, I, to be honest with you, like I, I, I like Dalvin Cook there. I know, okay. I know you may be, I, I mean, Albeit like two, you know, two years or something else, but like something like that. I mean, the guy, the guy's, the guy's proven it. He's only twenty-five. I, I think he, he's a fixture in a, in a run-centric offense. I, I, he, he's pr on a per-game basis. He's just produced. And you throw some questions about McCaffrey's health, Barkley's health, and, and everything else. You know, the tra the track record against the age, I, I think, is, is just there for Dalvin Cook, especially if you're, you know, you're, if you count on him to miss, say, two games a season or whatnot, which I think is fair, then you're getting a much more proven commodity in a run-centric offense than you are at other guys 
at his age. I mean, Nick, Nick Chubb is the same age as as Cook, and, and and I frankly like Cook better just because the you know the role in the offense and the you know lack of someone else sharing the backfield a little bit. So, and and everyone knows how much I love Nick Chubb. So, I I think that Cook Cook is actually that guy. I, I mean, I I like Diggs a lot, but it's just more. The, the length of the contract as, as he gets older and as they work in other pieces to that, to that offense. And, you know, I, I like Jonathan Taylor a lot too, but like, if you're, if you're paying for, I mean, Cook's three years older than Taylor. So like, if you want to play the age game and, and, and pay the same amount for something a little less proven to, to maybe get some more length out of that. Sure. I could Taylor would be the second guy I would probably think through on on the list that you gave me sounds good last piece then and this speaks to that i want to talk two rso things with you it's been a minute and i think we need to clarify some things for those of you that are entering in and new to the arena of rso first of all welcome to you keep listening give us a review let us know how we're doing but one thing that is not talked about a lot on the site and is often dealt with in um league constitutions offline is what do you do with, say, Derrick Henry, who sits third overall in ADP right now on underdog? You know he's going to be a seasonal smash. Um, you don't know how long his career is going to be, though. Or what, do you t- what are we talking about with these quarterbacks like the Ben Roethlisbergers of the world in a super flex league who you know is probably going to retire next year? In RSO, you have to make a decision as a commissioner whether or not we're going to grant what Goody affectionately calls amnesty for the contract of that player, right? So let's say there's only one con- one quarterback available in Superflex, and you're like, ah, oh, I really need to get Roethlisberger, which is one, it's a terrible situation to be in. I hope you never find yourself in that spot. But two, if you're like, I got to pay him, what, sometimes you can be that guy that's like, well, I don't need anybody else over four years. I'm just going to give Roethlisberger a four-year contract. Um, Goody and I both play in leagues. Uh, a range of RSO leagues, some of which have amnesty, some of which do not. Talk to me, Goody. Which one format, now that we've been at this for years, which format do you prefer? Do you like contract amnesty when a player retires? Or do you think that um, part of the fun of the strategy is making guys deal with the cap hits that they've, the, the bed that they've made for themselves? I veer more towards the bed that they made for themselves. I understand the amnesty piece when there, when an Andrew Luck type situation comes in, but the the game. Let me give you an example of of one of my RSO leagues that I think, you know, that has amnesty that that kind of blew up in in one of my friends' faces. So I don't know if I've shared this before, but I think a few years ago we had, we had an auction and it was fairly competitive and and Larry Fitzgerald was pro, was still on close you know still on a project uh a productive trajectory and my my friend decided to sign him for you know thinking maybe he had two more years left to play signed him on a four-year four-year deal and 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 over i think over 30 million dollars a year just kind of one of those hey i have the cap space it's the end of the auction or wherever it was in it like there's no one else i like so i'm going to i'm going to sign fitzgerald as my four year and i'm going to you know probably get a, a year or two of production and then i'm going to you know get the amnesty and and not have to deal with that well 
we're, we're in the final year of that. And we still don't know whether Larry Fitzgerald is playing or not. And there's been, been no amnesty. And, and so that, that contract has turned into something that like has been on the IR has been on other things. So I, I think that it can cut, it can cut both ways. I think we most of the time think of it in the, in the Andrew Luck sense that, Hey, once amnesty is given or once a player retires, that it's all, you know, all good. Like, you know, you time up the Drew Brees stuff and you figure it out and, and like that, but it doesn't always work in that same ideal motion, I, I would say. So I, I kind of like the, the thought of, also, because because four-year contracts are kind of finite, I, I think that most time, especially with the press cap this year, with with the NFL cap being what it is, I think that's a, a I mean, it's a, certainly a tactic that folks could use going in to stretch out and get somebody on their team that they want for this year. But I I, I think if you're talking about a player that you're hoping retires in a certain period of time, then you're pro- at, at this at that intersection, you're probably better off, better off sitting that out instead of hoping that, you know, hoping for the best that those things line up ideally. This one, don't you have strong feelings either way. It's one of those things that I wanted to raise again for our GM listeners. And if you're, DM, if you're the commissioner and you're looking around your league, make sure you offer clarity and transparency about what's going to lead to amnesty if you choose that road. Um, you're, are people going to have to find retirement papers? Is it going to be... Yeah, uh, those don't exist. So like, don't, yeah. it's like, it, it's, it's easy. It's easier trying to find like a unicorn, honestly. Yeah. Is it going to be a picture of cleats hanging over a clothesline? Like, what is it going <laughs> to be, right? Like that, but but in truth, right? You, you try to, you're opening yourself up for some arbitration from the league, which is never fun as a commission when you do that. So I, I too, I think at the end of the day, even though I, I really enjoy Amnesty Leagues because it keeps some freshness right the last thing you want is owners that are like oh i get stuck with this guy especially um yeah uh but having said that the cool part is even if you are in a league that does not offer amnesty the four-year finitude of those contracts that goody just alluded to is what tactically i would point everybody out is that you are giving something up even if you're saying i'm going to give a four-year contract to Gronk this year because he's the only tight end available you are giving up a four-year dart throw on guys that could turn out quite well. Like ask, ask the guys that spent those late um, rookie auction contract or pardon me, auction contracts after a rookie draft, after um, Chase Claypool didn't get drafted in a lot of two round rookie drafts. Like that's a good, now that you're sitting on Chase Claypool, now you've got one of the funnest and most interesting uh, attributes and assets in the league. So yeah, you're going well there. Last one then. Uh, with that in mind, there were a couple of leagues last year where I did my drop a big contract on, say, the Kenyon Drake of the world. And now I'm sitting looking at 20 million against the cap this year. This is the RSO question that I wanted to conclude with, Goody. I've long struggled, even after years of playing this, how much do I should I pay to get rid of a $20 million one-year contract? Um, and this is, I've kind of settled on that if someone wants me to take on so if you came to me and said, Luke, I want you to take this $20 million player that is kind of crap and is not going to play for you and you're not going to get any relief from this. So that would leave me then with the option of either keeping a $20 million nonsense player or so losing the roster spot and losing $20 million against my cap, or I could cut that player and get 
10 million against my cap this year and the roster spot back. And I think as a rule of thumb, I finally landed on if someone wants me to take a $20 million player or 10 million in dead cap uh, and force that decision on me, I would ask for a first. And conversely, I would also offer a first to get rid of that player. Mm-hmm. Is that, uh, do you think I'm, do you think that's pricey? Uh, would you balk at that? And on either side of it, if I came to you and said, Hey, here's a player I don't want. Um, and so talk to me about that is, would you accept a first two for a $20 million dump slash? Would you offer a first to dump 20 million? That's a really interesting question. Um, I mean, I, I know in the past, I feel like I I've kind of attached seconds to things. I, I mean, it really depends on how much the money is like if, if I, I get the incentive. It's it's hard because of the one year aspect. Certainly, the first first you touch anything more than a year on that, like a first, I'm like, yes, I'm with you. It makes sense. Like the the question really is like, what that does that ten extra ten million really buy you enough to warrant giving up a first? Because firsts are finite, you know. Especially like you play a thirty-two team league, I'm sure you wouldn't do that in something like that just because, you know, you only get so many so many shots at draft picks. So, I I, I think I, I'd be more willing to give up a first if I knew I had a, a pillow of other of other picks that such that that wasn't like it precluding my only dart throw of the year or whatever. <laughs> so I, I, I think that I would be hard pressed to give up a first to take on, sorry, to, to I'd be hard pressed to give up a first to ask somebody to take on an extra $10 million of salary. I mean, I think a, sec- a second to me feels right when it comes to that. If, if that number boosted up to, you know, over 15, then I think the second probably probably would have to turn in, into a first, depending on what the situation is. I think I, I, what did I do with DJ this year in the pod league? I think I, I think it was a, I, I was able to get rid of that one for a second. You were indeed much to my chagrin, as they say. I was, yeah. Uh, but that was after, after the rookie draft, I think like I right. had to, yeah. And I will say this is a, a, as far as our listeners go, this is one of those things where the time of the league calendar matters a great deal. So for example, if typically I would say if you're past your rookie draft as good, he's talking about now is not the time to make the first round pick for $20 million in cap offer, because right now everybody's getting hyped for the auction. For example, writer's league tonight, sir. But having said that, I have no money. Woo. Right. But having said that, I doubt I could get, I have Melvin Gordon on one year, 20 million. I bet I have a first to attach to him. I bet I could not get that from a single soul in our league because it's just bad. It's against human nature, right? Nobody wants to give up $20 million of play money on the night of the auction. You know, it's a bad, it's a bad timing for it. Right. Whereas if I had offered that before, I don't even have the ability to take that, but I like, because I've traded so many picks in the future, that doesn't sound, if I wasn't sitting on 13.6 million, I'd actually consider that one. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, but that's, this is the funny part, right? But you definitely would have taken just knowing where we both stand. If I had offered the first Melvin Gordon and a first, prior to the auction when you had like all those rookies you loved sitting in front of you, that's the time that you're going to snap accept that offer. I would imagine. Right. Like if you. Right. But yeah, it's just hard because like this, this particular year in that league, I had to do so. 
I mean, so much maneuvering after I traded you for Baker or whatever, like, because I took on, you know, or, um, a Zach Ertz contract, I think, to get rid of Jared Goff, I took on Cam Newton, like, to get one last year out of that. And then, so I'm sitting on a ton of dead cap with, like, with Newton and and, um, and Ertz the, this season. So now I have $14 million in, in tonight's auction to you know, cherry pick a bunch of mediocre assets after everybody's made all their fun picks. So, All right. When, when you guys hear this, our draft will have already occurred. Our auction will already occurred. We'll talk about it. We'll bring on some of the, some of the crew of our writers to talk about it in the near future for sure. Um, Goody, I think a little bit fun as we head out here, Goody and I are not really contending for the same players this year in that auction. Like he said, he's got a small uh amount of money available to him i have more my team's really poor his team's quite good um so we we're, we're we're in different processes of our build i would say goody um i'm looking at a list and for those of you out there this is some of the most fun of rso uh hearing what's available we're we're five or six years deep into this at this point Derek Henry, Aaron Jones, Chris Godwin, Chris Carson, Juju, James Robinson, Tyler Lockett, Adam Thielen Miles Gaskin. So there's some names. There's actually some good Jarvis Landry's of the world. Um, so there's some good players to be had at auction this year. A bunch of those mid-tier tight ends we alluded to. I, I'm let's play a game. I'm gonna say like based. I'm gonna look at your team and look at your team needs, and I'm gonna tell the listeners who I think you're gonna go after. And you don't have to confirm or deny. I just want to get it on record, and we can talk about it afterwards. And then you can do the same for me. And so. I'm going to take a look at yours. Right, well, my, just to give some context to our listeners, Luke has $51.1 million in cap space. I'm not sure how much, how many roster spots we can go through that. I have 13.6 million, which is the lowest in the league. The next lowest is Pappy has 20.7 million. The biggest stack is 67 million. And you have a couple teams that are a little bit over 50 million. So, and to be clear, so here's how I'm going to evaluate Goody's roster. I think he has an above average starter on at almost every slot in his quarterback and his super flex slot with Russell Wilson and Baker. And he's got Christian McCaffrey in his driver's seat at their RB position, Kareem Hunt in the second RB, Keenan Allen and Allen Robinson make up his two wide receiver slots, Darren Waller at tight end. They're expensive, but this is what I'm saying. In my mind, DJ Chark and Michael Pittman in your flex spots are obviously where you're targeting with your money. Like those guys could uh, are easily replaceable in your starting lineup everywhere else. Uh, you got plenty of good players. So if I were you with 13 million, my, and I'm trying to gauge what I would do versus what I think that you are going to do. <laughs> and so, yeah, so I'm thinking you're, we're talking like the Miles Gaskins of the world for if you can get them for that slot. That's what I'm uh, I'm I'm going on record saying the Miles Gaskin Raheem Mostert short term ten million dollar contract. I don't even know if you're, um, but you might be even lower than that in the world. Um, but I just I that's if if it were me, as you know, that's what I would do for you because you're a little bit more frugal, certainly more fiscally successful. I would say Gus Edwards might be the kind of target that you'd be looking at too, like later on. So. That's yeah. what I'm talking because okay. you do have some, you do have some fun upside rookies and you, the a name that I already mentioned that I liked later, you have Zach Moss sitting on your bench who I would start over, over Pittman, for example. So, right. Well, that just 
depends on situation. I mean, if the Jets offense turns good, I have Carter and more, but like, yep, yep, yep. Until, in, until that happens, I mean, Adam Troutman on like a league minimum contract is interesting piece, but I don't think he's starting over Darren Waller. So, um, no, that's what I mean. You've got a good build. So, I, and, and tell me, or at least tell the listeners, given you have all those players, is it your, are you looking for someone you can plug in as a starter in that flex spot? Or are you going to, is that not where your head is going into this auction? Are you just going to hunt value? I, I think I'm, I think I'm going to have to sit on the sidelines and hunt value for a while yep. and, see, and see what, see what happens because like I, I can't compete in, in, in the bigger space unless I, I mean the, the trade, I've not really explored much of a trade market to, to trade like, you know, for cheaper, cheaper wide receivers, like, you know, I, a guy that, a guy that we talked to, and we didn't talk about earlier, but like a Michael Gallup type is what my team needs. Yep. You know, for like one point eight million dollars, and and I mean, I think he's already rostered, so um, it's just too hard to to trade like a Keenan Allen for Michael Gallup, like straight up, because like the cap difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so we'll we'll see. But looking at your team, um, let's see. So, how many roster spots do we have in this league? Uh, that's a good question. In this league, I think we're looking at 25, sir. 25 roster spots. Again. Really? Yeah. 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 That seems high. Yeah. Yeah. We got, we're looking at 25 roster spots. In the I league. don't remember taking that up that much. Yeah. So it might be 22, but uh, we'll see. Um, um, rosters. Yeah. It's 22 with four injured reserve. So no, we never changed that back from like the COVID stuff, I guess. So I have 14 spots occupied then. So a uh, million and a half or so on each player, so to speak. Um, Funny let's... for people listening. It gives you a different insight into like Goody and I. When I look at my roster, I almost invariably only look at starting slots in my mind. So for example, we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine starters in this league. In my mind, I'm just filling nine slots and then the rest of it is just uh, like, I'm fine with 500 K guys. Like, yeah, you know, no, I, I potentially am too, but because you have to make all of the math work, like yep. it, it's like, if you, if you're going on, on one guy, so you have, looks like you have six roster spots open because they don't get with cam Akers already on the IR. You don't get an extra spot for that, but you do get the cap savings. So that's important for people who are hopping on. Um, let's see, you got Tua, Tua and Trevor Lawrence. Quarterbacks got Fields and Lance on the I mean, like great quarterback room, all controllable. Melvin Gordon and Eckler at running back. Ayuk, who I really like on that rookie deal. McLaurin, Mark Andrews at fairly cheap, Christian Kirk, who knows what that's gonna look like in Arizona. So you might guess you're looking to upgrade him. You have Irv Smith. This is the flex, and then you have those quarterbacks, Keyshawn Vaughn, who is just kind of a hold at this point. McFarland, I guess the same, even though McFarland could have been a cut guy. Um, let's see, Madison, Alexander Madison, good handcuff, and Dawson Knox, who we made that Josh Kelly trade for earlier this year. And unfortunately, Acres on IR. So you have my guess is with some of that space, you're going to look in the, in the sandbox of, at running back. Um, I mean, I think you're certainly going to be a part of that Derek Henry bidding. I would, I would say knowing you, um, <laughs> you are not wrong, sir. You are not so, wrong. 
um, Chris Carson, I think if you're, if that gets a little too crazy, you'll always be looking to like ruin fun with guys like Mostert, I think. Um, and yeah, so I think that, I think that's going to be your starting point. I, I mean, I don't see you going heavy on Packers. So I don't think, I think Aaron Jones bidding will be left up to some others. And, um, and then I, I think you'll be trying to get your boy Thielen back. Um, just as a fixture of your roster. I think those, those are two big moves. And then maybe, maybe some type of secondary tight end move to, you know, that, like to work in with, with the guys you have with um, Andrews. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a fun year. We'll see how it goes. We'll, we'll come at all of you. You guys, thanks for hanging in here with us. We've had a blast. It's been a long episode. And we'll absolutely let you know how the auction goes. Goody is not far wrong. Those running backs are the ones that I, I spend sleepless nights thinking about. We're only a few hours away now from, uh, from our RSO Writers League draft. I look forward to get, gathering with those guys every year. And uh, so this has been another episode of All About Reality. Matthew Goodwin, where is where are folks going to find you? Oh, find me at Matt Goody too. Thanks a lot, Luke. This this certainly was a long one. All right, at Fantasy Doc Ock, and we are out.